0: love oh yeah yeah sorry just getting into that song anyway hey welcome to church glad everybody's here today here at North Garnett want to say welcome out to our Stone Canyon and Vertigris campus would you all welcome them in just give them a clap let them know we love you um Glad that they're with us here today. Hey, um, before we get into the message, just uh, a couple of things, a little housekeeping things. Want to uh, get in front of you. Uh, just want to give you an update, search update on things. Um, number one, senior minister search uh, still going through it. All right, <laughs> keep uh, keep on praying for that. Uh, we're still going through candidates. We've eliminated some, picked up a few others. So still uh, walking through that. We continue to pray for God's guy at God's time, and so we. Appreciate you uh, keep on praying for that uh, as we go through that. So uh, but we feel like we're making progress and good things happening there. Uh, the other one, a search team for our Vertigris Campus minister. And uh, our Vertigris Campus already knows. They got a sneak peek last week, but we have found our guy uh, Zebulon Myers is going to be uh, joining our team and uh, coming on our uh, staff uh, by our, being our vertigrous campus minister and be starting uh, coming in on weekends through April and then full-time hitting it in May and so we are ecstatic to have Zeb come on our team Zeb and we'll call him just uh, that's what we'll call him we'll get him up here we'll get him introduced to you guys as soon as we can but uh, man we are pumped and excited to see what God's gonna do through Zeb so Praise Jesus, we got a guy, all right? So, woo, yes, and, uh, and, and, and this is not a we got a guy and we settled, we have got the guy, uh, we feel confident God has led us to him and look forward to see what God's going to do through, uh, through our Veritas campus through, through Zeb, so be praying for Zeb and, uh, and all the transition that's going to be happening over the next month, okay? Uh, so, uh, good stuff, keep praying for, uh, again, the senior search team. Um, One other thing, I know uh, all campuses just heard about Hood Hunt uh, coming up, and I just want to hit it again, because I can't stress enough how important it is that all of us get on board and are a part of that. I know many of you have done the boxes uh, and filled in the eggs. If you haven't brought them back, please do. Okay, but man, sign up to help. Uh, that's about a two or three hour commitment on that Saturday, uh, uh, going to a location and helping those, uh, meeting families and, and having conversations, and, and it's a good time, all right? It's a good time, but uh, just a great opportunity to connect with our communities. So uh, go online, get signed up, be a part of it, okay? No excuses. That's my evil look. All right, so there you go. So, hood hunt. All right, now let's get on with it. All right, book of Acts, that's where we've been over the last several months. Can you believe we're only a couple weeks away from being at the end? And so, I hope you've been here for all of it. If you've missed any of it, go online, catch up. Uh, see where we've been, okay? Uh, we've been hearing all along, uh, as we've been talking about, we want to be a, a church that is reaching lost people. We want to be a church that's growing found people. We want to be a place where everyone is welcome because no one is perfect and anything is possible. And we've seen that play out in the book of Acts as the early church has taken off and continues to move forward and the kingdom continues to grow. And Paul's on his missionary journeys. That's where we're still at today in Paul's second missionary journey. Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be. And But that's what we continue to see play out as God continues to strive to reach more and more people with the gospel, okay? So uh, I've been challenging to read, keep reading. Next week, it's a big assignment, chapter 18 all the way through 26. That's a big one, all right? But I'm confident you can do that. Read that next week, and you'll be ready for our message for next Sunday, okay? But Acts chapter 17 is where we're at today. The very famous uh, atheist Bertrand Russell one time was asked, If you found yourself at judgment before God and God asked you the question, Why didn't you believe in me? What would you say? Bertrand Russell replied back, He said, Not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. That was his response. You know, and I, I listened to that. I read that. And I went, <laughs> no, well, you'd be on your face before God. It's really what you'd be doing. But, but that mantra, that idea that there's just not enough evidence, that, that is something that people continue to say today. Those who don't believe in God or just don't care if there's a God, just, that, that's still something that they echo. Just not enough evidence out there for us to believe. And, and, and we believe that there is evidence. Now, the evidence that we have is not going to grab hold of you and make you believe, but there is enough evidence, I believe there is enough evidence, that if you give Jesus a chance, if you give it a rational investigation, the evidence is there to lead you to faith. Paul finds himself in front of a group of people, intellectuals, and he's having to present to them the evidence. It'll be interesting. It's interesting to see what they decide, how they, which, which direction that they go. But I, I believe this. Our faith is based on the evidence that Jesus is the resurrected Savior. Let's see how Paul handles this. In Acts chapter 17. Now, again, Paul's on a second missionary journey. He's hit kind of a rough spot in, in uh, uh, Philippi, got beat, thrown in prison, you know, and released and, and out of the city. He traveled about 100 miles to Thessalonica, uh, where he presents the message there, reasons with the people there. But again, he's run out of town. 45 miles later, he finds the city of Berea. There again, he reasons with the people there who are studiers of the Word of God. And once again, though, he's kind of having to be whisked out of town, right? out of town again and now we find him in Athens. It seems that Timothy and Silas who had been traveling with him have stayed behind in Berea and now he finds himself in Athens waiting on the rest of his team to show up. Look at verse 16 there in Acts chapter 17. It says this, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul is confronted with what I call a godless, God filled culture. That was Athens. As Luke describes it, it is a city that is filled with idols. Matter of fact, one of their own historians said, you know, it was easier to find a god than it was to find a man there in the city of Athens. And in view of this, Paul is distressed. I think it breaks his heart what he is seeing. But I believe that that in that instance, he felt the darkness of that city and the pain of that city. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that, if you've ever encountered a, a city, a location like that, where you could, you could feel the darkness. I remember uh, several years ago, our family went on vacation to Tennessee, and we, we were in Memphis, and, and I remember we walked onto a street there in Memphis, and Steph was with me, but I just remember as we began to walk down the street, just this feeling of evil, Really, is all I could describe it as. It was just, just darkness, and and it was just palpable. The, that God wasn't there. Really, is how how I remember feeling. I remember looking, talking to Steph and go, man, do you just feel that? It's just, it's just weird. It was, it was during the day. It wasn't like a lot of things were happening. Bars weren't really going and stuff but but it was just that place just there was a heaviness there and i kind of wonder if that's what paul is experiencing as he as he walks the streets of athens and he sees all the idols does he just sense that god is not welcome there maybe sounds like more places in our culture than just memphis maybe it sounds like our nation we live in a culture here, a society where, where everyone can be right. There's no winners or losers. There's, uh, everyone's system of belief is to be accepted and is okay. And, but the reality is there is right and wrong. There are winners and losers. And if, if I say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through Him He's the only way, but yet you say, well, no, it's through obedience to the teachings of Muhammad that we gain entry into heaven. One of us is wrong and one of us is right, right? But yet people hearing these things and hearing so many people talk about religions just kind of say, well, can't we all just get along, put a little bumper sticker on, coexist. Can't all the religions just get along and be okay with it? But with around 4,200 religions in the world Many people again just throwing their hands up And just said you know what Just do whatever works for you And that seems to be where Athens is at There was a God to almost anything Just do whatever works for you But my challenge is this Don't seek what works Seek truth I think that's where Paul's trying to take his listeners in the text. As he looks at this culture, he looks at the city, and he has to determine, how am I going to speak into this people, into this culture that they are in? And he starts with Jesus. That's where he starts. Verses 17 and 18. He goes where the people are goes to the synagogue, he goes to the marketplace. Look at verse 17, it says this, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He reasoned with them. He had a dialogue with them. He had conversation with them, maybe even some debates with them as he reasoned with them, as he, as he shared the evidence. Interesting thing, that That word reasoned uh, has been used three times. Luke uses that word as Paul interacts with the different cities that he encounters there in Acts chapter 17. and Once again here in Athens, he's, he's reasoning with them, presenting them the evidence. And he starts with Jesus. Look at verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, the, those who are described as the Epicurean philosophers, they were the, the atheists that didn't believe in a God. They, they really just went after pleasure. Their mantra would kind of be just enjoy life. You know, there's no God. Just enjoy life. And, and the only way to, to really overcome your flesh is just to indulge it. <laughs> that was just kind of their way of living life, just go for it. Now the Stoic philosophers, they believed there was a God, but he was not involved in their lives, and so they, but they st- strive to follow after the reason, and they desire to be self-sufficient in the way they lived this life, and their mantra was more of a just endure life, let's just get through this. So it's to these two opposing types of people with others there among them that Paul's trying to convey the message of salvation through Jesus. And in verse 18, that's what he says, that's what Luke shares there, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He was giving evidence. And he would have evidence to share, Paul would, not only his own story of his own Coming to Christ, moment of the light, but, but the time that he spent with the, the apostles and others who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, eyewitnesses to the resurrection, and the, the prophecies he could go back and, he could, and he, could, he could expound on and just show and paint a picture of it was Jesus that, that fulfilled every one of them. And, and he would lay out the evidence for all those who were listening. All your gods, they are built on mythology and opinion, but not my God. No, there's, there's facts, there's stories, there's evidence of who he is. Go on down to verse 21. It says, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Many of the leaders there, they were, they were always intrigued with what was the next big thing. You see, they would be some of the, the leaders, uh, rulers in charge of religion in their city and education in their city. And so they wanted to be on the cutting edge, always looking out for the next big thing, the next big teaching, or maybe it was even the next God to come along. They were intent on finding philosophies and gods that would just work for them, work for their own selves, but also work to maybe make their city a better place. You see, at this time, Athens was kind of on a decline, and they were looking for something that would breathe a little life back into their city Always looking for something new, kind of reminds me of Proverbs seventeen twenty four, where it says, "The discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth." Saying the wise, they're they're set on truth and wisdom. They 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 have a foundation, but the fool is always looking to the horizon for the next thing. What is the next big thing that I can build my life on and bring me fulfillment? Bring me some hope. So Paul starts with Jesus. and then, as he continues to speak with them and reason with them, he begins to connect with the culture that he finds himself in. And he starts there in verse 22, kind of with a "Some believe it's a compliment, others believe this is more of a slam. Look at verse 22. It says this, "So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, this place where the leaders would gather for learning said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Some uh, believe it means too religious or too superstitious. But whatever the case, he's saying, I I see that you're very religious. (laughs) I see all your gods. I, I see all that you have, these gods to everything imaginable. Look at verse 23. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, What therefore you worship as unknown? This I proclaim to you. See, he's pulling something right out of their own culture in order to begin having a, a lesson with them to point them to Jesus. That altered the unknown gods, interesting. Uh, back in the 6th century B.C., it seems that in that area there was a great plague. Many people were dying, many children were dying, and they had sacrificed to uh, almost every god that they had, and yet the plague continued to go on and on, and death continued to take place. And so finally, one man had the idea, there must be another god that we don't know of. And so they did this elaborate uh, sacrificial system for for this unknown God, and it happened to be at the same time that plague ceased. And so at that point they built altars to the unknown God around their city. They didn't know who he was, but he had saved them. Was it our God? Was it it him setting it up for Paul to come at this moment? Maybe. I think God's kind of strategic like that. Could have been. Whatever the case, Paul recognizes that in the culture and he uses that as his platform. Tim Keller says this, It is impossible to understand a culture without discerning its idols. If we're going to make a difference in our culture, we need to understand what it is that our culture, our people, our communities are placing their belief and their trust in. Paul says, I see that you have an unknown God. Let me, let me tell you about him, because I know him. And then he begins to unpack four different truths about God for them to be able to wrap their heads around and be able to begin to understand him. Four truths about God, and the first one is this. He is creator. He is a creator God. You see, the gods of, of Athens were created God's, but not our God. He was the creator of all things. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He, he's created everything. He wasn't created like your gods, that you've made out of stone and metal. And no, He's the one who created all things. In the beginning, God created you see, the Epicureans, they believe that all matter has always been. There was never a beginning. No God to create it. The Stoics who were listening to him, they believed that everything already pre existed and whatever God came in only brought order and law to what was already existing. Paul brings with boldness a whole new idea about this unknown God. He has created all things and beyond that he cannot be contained in his creation he can't be contained in this world or all the universe he can't be contained in your little temples and remember he's speaking this in athens in the shadow of some of the greatest temples ever created to the goddess athena there in athens he says our god doesn't fit in your little temples He's the creator God. But not only is he the creator God, he's the provider God. He provides all things. Paul was speaking to a culture where where the people would give to their gods, do things for their gods, hoping that the gods would then do something back for them. But not the unknown God. He doesn't need anything. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Warren Wiersbe to this says, if God is God, then he is self-sufficient and needs nothing that man can supply. He doesn't. Paul makes that point here. And in these first two truths, he's, he's creator, he's provided, he just blew up the entire religious system of the Greek culture. <laughs> he's the creator God and he provides everything. You don't need to be doing all these little things that you're doing to these gods. Not only is he creator and provider, he is also ruler. You see, the gods of the Greeks, they were thought to be uh, distant gods, not concerned with the needs of man. And in verse 26, uh, there Paul says that God created everyone in his own image for a set time, for a set place. That's our God who created us to... And to lead us, he had a plan for us, verse 27, it goes on, so that they, mankind, should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God's plan is that we would seek after him and that we would, in doing that, we would find him. It's interesting how it says that they will feel their way toward him. It's the idea kind of like a, a, somebody who is blind having to feel their way through. And his plan is that even if we have to feel our way to him, we will find him. The evidence is there. If we'll just seek and find, Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen speaks of that very same thing. We'll seek him with all our heart. We'll find him. What a promise. Verse 29, Paul goes on, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. If we are created in the image of God, how silly it is for us to think that we can create God in our image. No, no. He's the ruler, not us. Again, Warren Wiersbe speaking to this says, Greek religion was nothing but the manufacture and worship of gods who were patterned after men who acted like men. But not the unknown God. No, he's the one true God. He's the one who created, he's the one who provides, he's the one who has a plan to rule over us, to, to give us direction through this life. He is the one supreme God, the ruler and the king. And this type of thinking for many there in Athens would be foolish. But Paul presses on. He doesn't end there. The last thing is this. Not only is he creator, provider and ruler, he is Savior. In case you miss the greatness of this unknown God and his vast power and all that he is and who he is, he is also Your Savior, he's provided a way for you to have salvation, to have fulfillment and joy in this life and even into the next life. Look at verse 31, because he has, uh, I'm sorry, back up 30. uh, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God has held back His wrath, but until now, now that wrath has come down on the person of Jesus Christ, and, and He has taken that wrath for, for us so that we wouldn't have to, and now salvation is made available for those who will follow Him and repent. That's the call. Repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you live from living for self for the next big thing and living For God alone, verse thirty one, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, it's the resurrection of Jesus that gives validity to all that Paul is sharing with them. You see, Paul wasn't about winning arguments. Paul was about winning lost people. And so he just keeps pointing to Jesus. And he keeps pointing to the evidence that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one who came to bring salvation. So many people war against not just Jesus, but the teaching of Jesus, and especially the resurrection of Jesus. There's been all kinds of... theories of what really happened at the, at the resurrection. Uh, William Lane Craig, he's a, a Christian apologist, tells a story of about a time when he was at a, on a university campus in California, and he was in a, going to be in a debate with a professor who had, who, had, who had written his doctoral thesis on the resurrection of Jesus. And this professor did not have a problem with the person of Jesus, the death of Jesus, even the burial of Jesus, even the idea that many believed he had resurrected. But he had come up with a new theory of what really happened. His theory was this, that Jesus had an unknown twin brother. And so when Jesus was placed in the tomb, this unknown twin brother shows up Somehow fights through the guards, opens the tomb by himself. Not sure how that happens, but anyway. Shows up, gets the body of Jesus, takes it away, and then begins to appear. Silly. Many have tried to explain away the resurrection. That's the latest one I've heard of. But all continue to fail. They fall short. Paul lays it out. He lays out the evidence. He gives the reason. He says, this is the one true God. You know him as unknown, but he is knowable, and you can follow him. Now, when Paul gets through with his reasoning, uh, like every time he, he has these conversations, he has both uh, critics and converts that's where we, what we find in verses 32 and following there. Some mocked him in verse 32. You come to verses 33 and 34. It says that some joined him and believed and gives us the name of some that followed him. But some believed him. Some, some heard the evidence and they heard the reasoning and they thought in their mind, Jesus must be real. And they followed. Because Jesus was different than any other God in their culture as well as in ours. You see, Jesus was the only one who claimed to be God, backed that claim up with miracles, and then ultimately backed that claim up with his very own resurrection. None of the, no other God had done that. It's so important that we hang on to that truth. That's why Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile And you are still in your sins. If that is not true, if the resurrection is not true, shut the doors. Let's go home. There's no reason to be here. But if it is, then we have the keys. We hold the keys to salvation. We, as followers of Jesus, we have the answer that so many are looking for in this world. They're just looking for the next new thing, the next fix, the next thing to bring fulfillment. But we have the ultimate, we have Jesus and a relationship with him and salvation that comes through him. The evidence is available. If one will just seek him, they will find him. Peter, over in 2 Peter 1.16, he says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We have the evidence to back it up. So when so many people want to say there's no evidence, there's not enough evidence, evidence. What they really mean is there's not enough evidence to coerce me out of my indifference. If I choose to ignore it, the evidence isn't going to grab me and force me to believe, and it's not, but it's there. The evidence is there. Some believe that our faith is built on blind faith. Just believe. I know it doesn't make sense, but just believe. No, 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 no. Paul never said that. (laughs) Paul reasoned. Paul laid out the evidence. And he said, Base base your faith on the evidence that Jesus is who he says that he is. See, those who Paul was speaking to, they, they wanted to know more, not necessarily for salvation. They wanted to know more to help them through the moment, to help them through the pain. Have you been there looking for the next thing? What's the next thing to buy? What's the next thing to purchase? What's the next thing that's going to bring happiness, bring fulfillment? Have you been there? You see, seeking what works in the moment will only lead to disappointment, only lead to waiting and looking for the next thing. Listen, like I said at the beginning, I don't want to be... Following something, looking for something that only works for me. I want to believe in something because it's truth. We believe in Jesus. Not because He's an anesthetic to numb us from the pain and the hurts and struggles of this life, but because He is truth. He is the way to real life, He is the way to real satisfaction. He is the way to real hope. He is the way to salvation. Our faith is based on the evidence that Jesus is our resurrected Savior. The evidence is there. If you'll just seek Him, Father in heaven, God, help us to be confident in You. Help us to know You. God, if there are people listening to this message who don't know You, God, may You stir in them and cause them, push them, move them to investigate You and to investigate the evidence that You are who You are. A God who can be known. A God who can be trusted. So God, we pray that You would help us to be a people that stand confidently upon our faith in You. And that we will confidently proclaim that message, that truth. That we'd be willing to reason with others like we see Paul reasoning. To help them find you. God, we love you. Thank you for the evidence. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.